everyone knows how to play poker. 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 But do you know how to play poker well? Well, get ready to talk poker strategy with the people who run the games. Hear interviews with the stars. Get information on when to play, where to play, and how to play better poker. Poker. This is Poker Action Live, a weekly poker show with your hosts, Big Dave Lemon and Joe Rodriguez. And how's everybody doing? Big Dave and Joe, another edition of the show here. Kind of like a lull period, I, I kind of say, in between uh, Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open and before the fall gets underway. Uh, haven't seen any stuff on the uh, World Series of Poker replays at all. I, I wonder if they're going to do that again this year since they had so much coverage uh, this past pretty season. much live, you know. So maybe they figure everybody watched it already. Yeah, give it a little time to, so people maybe go, oh, what, I forgot how they played this hand and so on so exactly. forth. Uh, the uh, there's a lot of stuff going on around the country. Of course, uh, the Borgata Poker Open uh, is ongoing now. They are in the main event, and it is day one B today. Kind of bizarre. Um, the the first day was only 271 players, which is what's a guarantee? Kind of light. Uh, it's a thirty five hundred dollar buy in. Not sure there is a guarantee, to be honest with you. Uh, don't see any guarantee, but no guarantee. Uh, but only 271 the first day, and they expected a lot more today, uh, being a Sunday and Monday kind of situation. So today they had uh, over 600 players. Okay, so and with no guarantee, guarantee, huh? Not that I know of. Wow. Okay, so they had how many? You said over 800 players today, or 600? What was it? Uh, over six, a little over six, six, 680, I guess. So they got over a that. Uh, no, I'm sorry, over 900 between the two yeah. uh, between the two days. Exactly. So that's going to generate a pool of uh, right around three million dollars or so. Right. Uh, Tyler Ch- Phillips is the chip count leader. Uh, chip leader uh, Brian Altman. Uh, is uh, backed by about 50,000. Darren Elias in the uh, top five, along with Dylan Wilkerson, Kirk Kohlberg. Ori Hen, who's from down here in South Florida, is uh, in the top ten. And uh, there was a little note here that Maria Ho, first time she played in the tournament uh, after an eight-year absence. Really? Kind of interesting. Uh, but it's a $3,500 championship. WPT will be televised, and so I guess they'll play into the week somewhat. Uh, a lot of South Florida players went up and played, and I see a picture of Justin Zaki here and a few other locals that are up there, but uh, uh, all our guys from New Jersey. Uh, remember a guy named Eric Siegel? Eric uh, was with uh, worked with uh, Eugene Castro and uh, Randy Casper in uh, PPI back then. Uh, was he, he wasn't the older gentleman, was he? No, the, he was the younger the, guy from New Jersey. Oh, no, the guy uh, I'm thinking about lived in Vegas. Yeah, that was Eugene, Eugene, Ca- Eugene okay. Castro. Uh, but he is doing very well. He plays a lot of tournaments up there, and I saw he bagged pretty big uh, already. So uh, interesting uh, field up there. Uh, Ian O'Hara from South Florida playing and a few others up there. Also uh, another South Florida player that we know uh, originally from the Boston area. Uh, Ronnie Barda had making news. He's uh, a real nice guy, too. Yeah, a real nice guy. And, uh, I remember he used to be part of the PPC. Uh, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, he was, he was a real nice guy. Which he's trying to forget, probably, just like a Yeah, lot yeah. Um, he originally from Massachusetts, the Boston area, and he's kind of well-known for having cashed in the World Series of Poker main event five consecutive years. Which, I don't know if I don't, that, that was a record at that time, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. I don't know if it still is or not. I I don't know. That's a good question. Anyway, he uh, was just selected as one of the 20 cast members on the latest season of Survivor. Good for so, Ronnie, man. Like so I said, I, I had the pleasure of meeting him down in, uh, in Aruba uh, a couple of years, and he's a really nice gentleman. That will be televised beginning September 25th. I'm sure they've already started taping some of the early shows there. Uh, another guy who plays poker, Boston Rob. Remember Boston yeah, Rob? Yeah, he was Mary on. Amber. He was on. Uh, sir, wasn't he also on? He's uh, been on a couple times, two, three times. But he is uh, serving as one of the mentors down there as to the rest of the players. He's going to be involved. He's a big time poker player now too. Uh, I wouldn't say big time, but he has some small caches, nearly hundred fifty thousand in live tournament earnings. Uh, some other people that are going to be on the show include uh, Olympic swimmer Elizabeth Basil. And uh, NHL player Tom Laidlaw. So uh, that will be starting up pretty soon. And uh, I don't know if you agree with it, but a lot of people felt like uh, the poker players that have been on there have done well because of their thought processes involved in poker. 
Well, being that I'm not a, a watcher of Survivor, uh, you know, it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. You know, I mean, think about it. You know, you have to be, th- you got to think very quickly on your feet. And poker has that almost on every hand that you that you're actually putting chips in the center of the pot. Yeah, you know, always and, thinking about strategy. Especially strategies. at the level that these guys play, you know, because that's the difference: the, the amount of money or or the position in the tournament that they're in that they're buying in for ten thousand, five thousand, or higher rollers. So you better be very good thinking on your feet, and I would imagine that's a, a good skill set to have going into Survivor. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, some other poker pros that have been on the show in the past is Jean Robert Balland. Uh, Garrett Edelstein and Anna Kate was on the show a few years ago as well. Uh, Jackie Glazier, uh, Australian uh, woman that plays, was on the Australian version of the show. But uh, that starts on September 25th, so we'll be checking that out as well. A couple other kind of social news, uh, kind of interesting situation. Uh, there's a uh, female player, Oriental woman named Kate Huang. Uh, who is an Omaha eight or better specialist? Okay. And a couple of years ago at the World Series of Poker, uh, in the in 2018 actually, it was she went to the final two head-to-head play against a fellow named Fran- from France named Julian Martini, and he ended up winning the tournament. It was $1,500 Omaha eight or better, and he won uh, 239,000. They battled four days as competitors at the table, not four head, days oh, head to head. Oh, I was going to say head to head. I go, but, wow, I don't remember that. Throughout the the time, they were at the ta- same table, and uh, they ended up uh, playing uh, quite a bit head to head. And uh, this, a few weeks ago, they got married. No. <laughs> Which is a pretty cool thing. So he won and lost. I mean, excuse me, he won and won. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So not only, the, the way they put in the story is they hit it off. And he not only won the tournament, but won her heart as well. Yeah, so, you know, you know for us married men, you look at it and you go, wow, what a, what a great strategy she had. She was going to collect both prizes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, we, we, no, it's nothing new to uh, have uh, poker couples now. There's quite a few out there. Uh, obviously, one of the most well-known is Kristen Bicknell and Alex Foxen. Uh, you have Igor Kurganov with uh, Liv Bori over in London. And uh, Tim Riley and Ness Riley, uh, married couple. Well, we know Jason and We've Natasha Jason also. Jason and Natasha. So it's pretty interesting. It's interesting, Dave, because you know you spend so much time out there. And I don't know. I don't. Have you ever been married, Big Dave? No, I have not. You haven't. And I know Gio's married. You know, you have to have some things in common with your wife, at least for me, but you can't have everything in common because that would drive me up a freaking wall. I couldn't have a woman that was the same as me because (laughs) it just would not work. And I'm curious because of the competitive nature of playing poker, you know, how that works out for them because, you know, physical attraction, getting, you know, attracted to somebody because of who they are, but... You know, sooner or later, the poker part of it, you know, the poker side of it, creeps into your relationship, and and I, I would love to interview a couple like that and ask them questions. You know, when you have arguments, are you handling this like a like a a, a poker a poker hand or or not? Well, and the other thing is, is uh, there's a lot of disappointment. Uh, you know, obviously, you're only going to win a small percentage of the time. You're only going to get cash probably 10% of the time. or but it, So a lot of heartbreak uh, is the point and a lot of variance in the play. So to have someone else that you go out with or are married to or, uh, you know, steady with um, is, is kind of a nice situation. It's comforting I, to, to be able to share those uh, I'm thinking if you're, uh, you know, if you're exactly and, and they can understand it, so they're obviously more sympathetic to, to that cause and maybe know how to snap you out of it. Sometimes you know uh, when you're when you're beating yourself up and feeling sorry for yourself, and they're like, you know, hey, I don't know if it's a kick in the ass and saying, hey, listen, just get your mind back onto what you have to do, or if you need that soothing hand to just calm you down. But you know, to me, it's like you're with the same person every. I, I don't know if I could survive that in my marriage, but I'm great because I know how the casino business is, Dave. You know, when you work certain shifts, and this is similar situation that you're playing the same tournament you're in them for seven eight nine hours however long they run before before it ends uh, for the day and 
relationships just start. Yeah. You know, it, it just you know uh, you're attracted to what you see and how the people react there, and this is this is the 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 main focus of your life is what you're seeing there. So I'm surprised there's actually not more hookups in the poker world yeah, well, that we we'll read about. If you're not looking for a relationship, you're looking for certain uh, for some uh, <laughs> affection or attention. And if you're you're only going to find it, you know, locally and now, uh, you know, in the poker rooms, basically. And, uh, you know, it's uh, there's more and more women playing now, a lot of attractive women playing now. And it's uh, it's it was inevitable, really. Yeah. You know, I don't remember the, the movie from a long time ago, but it wasn't. I guess I'm not looking for I'm not looking for Mrs. Wright. I'm just looking for Mrs. Wright now. Mrs. Right now. You know, and, and now, obviously, like you said, with some more women looking in there, they, they have the same thing with Mr. Wright and Mr. Wright now. So. Exactly. Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, one other story that just came out this week, and uh, uh, I think these guys are b- barking up the wrong tree, but there was uh, the story is coming out now that a couple of backers, one is uh, well-known uh, Daniel Jungleman Cates, and the other is Ilya Trincher. They were backers of Phil Ivey this summer at the uh, $50,000 Players Championship. Oh, and that's where the money was taken? Yeah, he won 124000 and they took it out, took the winnings immediately, and gave it to the U.S. Marshals. So uh, these guys are now uh, trying to file suit uh, to get some of their money back, uh, whether they get it from Phil or they get it from the World Series of Poker. But they have filed a legal objection to the garnishment of that, citing a Nevada law that allows backing deals. And uh, since a federal judge in New Jersey actually gave the Borgata authorization to pursue Ivy's winnings elsewhere, including in Nevada. It's going to be very tough for them to get paid. Uh, I don't think we'll see, see Ivy's face too many, too many tournaments anymore in the United States. If he of course not. Can't not, win not, if, money, not if this giant, it over. Know, not if not if this uh, ruling stays in place, like you said. You know, and and you know, I hate to think, say this, but obviously with the continual things that are coming up on the Phil Ivy's character, with all of these these things that are happening. You know, I wonder if he knew that. I don't know. You know, it's, it's an interesting question. You know, gets backers, wins. Well, part of whatever debt he owes to the Borgata gets taken off with that. And and he doesn't have to pay his backers. You know, I mean, I again, keeps keeps getting into situations that are very difficult. Yeah, supposedly, these two guys put up his entire buy-in that he didn't he didn't put up anything, I guess. <laughs> there you go, right? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, wh- what can we say? I mean, uh, <laughs> which which lane do you want to go down? He knew about it. Uh, is he going to reimburse these backers with his own money now that this occurred? Yeah, you know, it's exactly. it's, it's you know, it's it's a little nasty to be honest with you. For those of you who don't know why the Borgata had the money coming to them uh, back in 2012, uh, Ivy along with his partner who was the dealer at the Baccarat table, uh, Kelly Chinyan Sun, uh, beat the Borgata out of $9.6 million in a session. And uh, two years later, the casino realized that they were using something called edge sorting, which is uh, a defective card decks with a spot on it. They could tell what the cards were. Well, yeah, he beat them in Baccarat. Yeah. So the advantage was you, if you know that first card, you know, the first card comes out to the player for people who don't know about Baccarat. As a card comes out, first card is to the player, second card to the bank, third card to the player, fourth card to the bank. So if you notice, if you know that it's a nine, an eight, a seven, you know, nine is the natural number in, in Baccarat. So, you know, you you got a lot more chances. If, it's like knowing that an ace is coming out in blackjack and you you know you're going to get that first card. You put a lot of money on it because you have a much higher chance of catching a, a, a 10, a 9. Well, in Baccarat, it's the same thing. You catch, you got the, the 10 Jack, Queen, King. That would have given him a natural 9. Cam could beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, another 9 gives him an 8, which is also a natural. Only gets beat by the 9. So... Having that advantage is huge, huge. The one thing that I read in this story that I hadn't realized before is, uh, well, we know that Ivy was ordered to pay $10.1 million to the Borgata. Uh, the manufacturer of the cards was liable for $27. 
And I don't know how they figure out some of these things. That's like the USFL when they uh, now, they, they 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 beat the NFL out of the money, but they got a, they were awarded three dollars. Yeah. Well, what I don't understand here is you know the manufacturer, if they knew that situation occurred and still sent the cards out, and you can prove it, I don't know how they're not liable for a lot more money. Yeah, exactly. Second, you know the big thing here was that there was a dealer who apparently told them that 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 was happening. Because I'm thinking, hey, if I'm smart enough to realize there's a defectiveness in the card, it's on you. Shame on you. You're yeah. running the game. I, I didn't mark the cards. You know, if I didn't if I didn't do anything to cheat, you know, by by physically marking the cards or changing the cards, I don't know how I'm going to be held liable for that. I got the advantage. Casinos have the edge all, all the on every single game. They have the percentages. We know that going in. So. They've always they've always tried to bar card counters in blackjack. Obviously, you know. Okay, they came up with these machines now that now it's card counting is almost you know usually in one decks only. But hey, if the player gets the advantage without actually cheating because they were smart enough to find a defect well, a defect in there without them doing anything to create that defect, didn't create the defect. But you know that the dealer. Being in on it with uh, Ivy was doing something to make it easier for him to read. Well, those the cards. dealer's probably the one who realized it. Yeah, yeah you understand. Exactly. So that's where the the problem comes in here. But again, if a player was smart enough to realize that, you know, if, if I was that dealer and I knew that other casinos were using that, I'd have just gone and played and you know tried to play it for you know where you're making a few thousand dollars a day and no one knows no one no one's the wiser while you while you've got that edge. Casinos have the edge because of the you know the percentages that they take for the house side. I don't have a you know hey buyer beware. So you bought the cards, you gave them to me. These are the cards you wanted to use for me to play against you. You know it's shame on you that you didn't fix those. But again, if a dealer marked them or 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 was found out and and used somebody else to do that, that's where it gets gray. And I, I again without having read the whole how all the legal stuff went. Right, but. They got awarded that money, so whatever it was, it was obviously very bad. And they'll be after him for the rest of his natural life, I guess. Anyway, uh, uh, there's talk about a, a movie coming out about this, is, is this whole uh, high-stakes edge-sorting Baccarat story. And uh, that could come out in the near future. And we know that Ivy's name, while not Bud, is uh, is been removed from Ivy's room that was at the... Uh, uh, Aria earlier in in his life, uh, it's now called something different. And uh, yeah, he was from that area. You know, I don't know right. if it was Ventnor, one of the towns right near Atlantic City. But you know, it's a shame because he developed his reputation there. The the cute story of playing underage <laughs> and then coming in when he turned 21 and letting everybody know that his real name was Phil Ivy, Jerome something, I think, was the name that he went by. It just hit oh, me yeah, the first one, Jerome. Yeah, I remember you mentioned so, that a couple weeks ago. That's why when people, I said, Jerome, Jerome, and I'm going, that, that's Phil Ivy. This is many years ago. And, and people, somebody there goes, no, that was the name he used when, when he had a fake ID. Yeah, exactly. Okay, a couple other things. I want to look at a couple of hands we'll uh, get Joe's uh, to analyze for us. And uh, we'll see what's going on when we get back. We'll take our first break, though, on the show. Big Dave Lemon, Joe Rodriguez here on Poker Action Line. And don't forget, you can always pick up the show on SoundCloud. You can get us on the Hold'em Radio Network, uh, the Poker Fuse podcast page. You can check out our website at PokerActionLine.com uh, or anywhere you get your podcast. So check it out, and uh, we'll be back with more of tonight's show when we return here on Poker Action Line. This is Poker Action Line. This is Big Dave for PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Want to know what's really cool? Your charitable tax-deductible donation every time you play. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com, the feel-good gateway to fun and prizes. Play free. Learn our system. Get 50,000 free chips and play for prizes. Play for scholarships that benefit Caribbean students. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Take it from Big Dave. A win for you is a donation to Caribbean education. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Can you tell if this burger contains bacteria that could cause kidney failure? Listen. Can't, can you? You can't see it either. 
There's only one way to tell if you've cooked meat and poultry to a bacteria-killing temperature. Use a food thermometer. It's not an extra step or a nice-to-have. Raw or undercooked meat may contain bacteria that can make you very sick or worse. One in six Americans will get sick from food poisoning this year, and roughly 3,000 will die. But you can keep your family safer by using a food thermometer every time. Learn more about this and other important information. Check your steps at foodsafety.gov. That's foodsafety.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Android and iPhone users, download the WFO Radio app. It's sports radio for racing fans. Thank you. I appreciate it. The ultimate, the ultimate racing, racing, show, racing show, including WFO Radio NHRA Nitro, WFO Radio Ignition, the WFO Radio NASCAR Tailgate Party, news, videos, push notifications, and more. I just hope I'm part of it. Go to the App Store or Android Market. Search WFO Radio and download it now. Now. Welcome back to the show. Big Dave Lemon and Joe Rodriguez as we come to you from South Florida, another edition of Poker Action Line. Uh, the Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open uh, was in August. Uh, the next big tournament is in November with the Rock and Roll Poker Open. And they have released the schedule, so just give you an early read on that. It'll be right after the hotel opens. So it'll be the first major tournament now with the new Guitar Hotel. They're and scheduled to open on the 24th of, 20, 24th of and October. 24th of October. when is this scheduled This tournament for? is, well, the main event is, actually it's uh, the tw- November 20th. So they'll have time to uh, work out the kinks, I guess. Uh, the first tournament starts on November the 20th. And the main event... Uh, is a little bit later in the month and finishes up uh, on uh, December 4th. So the day ones for the uh, main event, uh, Friday, November 29th, and November 30th. I don't know when Thanksgiving in. My guess would, would be maybe the previous week. Uh, or it could be the 28th. No, uh, can you see, Gio, can you check Thanksgiving? Is it on the November 28th or the 21st? 28th, okay. Uh, okay, uh, so that's uh, the day after Thanksgiving on Black Friday. Yes, the 28th of November is Thanksgiving. Okay, so the 29th is basically what they call Black Friday yes. for shopping. Uh, for poker players, it'll be the uh, day 1A of the uh, main event of the Rock and Roll Poker Open. Okay. $3,500 buy-in, $2 million guarantee. Uh, day 2 on Sunday the 1st, day 3 on the first, or I'm sorry, the second on Monday, and and day four and five, Tuesday and Wednesday, and finish up on the fourth of December. Several other tournaments. In fact, I saw one of the secondary events is a all in or fold. Have you ever played in one of those? Yeah, I hated that. There was yeah, it, it's either I actually played it online, and it's brutal. <laughs> it really is. Is there a strategy to it? Really? I mean, you haven't figured that out yet, huh? You know, and remember, you get multiple pots, so it's everybody all in if you get multiple action on it. So um, it's a little crazy. It's a little crazy. I didn't. I I, 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 look, it just took me out of my comfort zone for playing. So I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of value. Uh, uh, you have to, you know, use a unique set of, of you know, uh, playing strategies to get there. And uh, you know, again, having first time I joined it just for the sake of it. it I felt so much pressure because, you know, wow, okay, all in a fold. Yeah. And and that's how you have to play the whole tournament. So I, I guess that's something that you got to play a few times and see if you get a, if you feel comfortable playing at that style. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the first tournament is a million-dollar guarantee with a $400 buy-in. Pretty interesting. Wow. Uh, eight opening sessions, two on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, the 20th through the 23rd. Two million guarantee, you said, or one million? One million, one million? for that million? one. That's okay. a $400 buy-in. And the interesting thing is if you get knocked out of that or you're not uh, maybe going to play one of the later days, there's uh, some overlapping uh, Omaha 8 uh, tournaments and a horse tournament. So also a charity event uh, on the 21st. Uh, there's a Big O event. that I, I've never played Big O before, but... Uh, it's five. It's, o, it's Omaha High with five cards. Okay, and uh, finally, uh, there's BS, just for your uh, notification, a seniors uh, 50 and over event, which is on Tuesday, December the third, with a $400 buy-in. 
you know what sucks now, Dave? Knowing yeah, that I, knowing no that time. I'm knowing that I'm only ten days away from turning sixty, I'm closer to super senior the, <laughs> the super seniors <laughs> tournaments than the seniors now. Well, I've always said that life is uh, deals you. A lot of problems that you either have the money or the time. They don't have both. So yeah, and it sucks because for most of your life it's one or the other. Exactly. But uh, yeah, well that's good. I mean, you know, we know how beautiful that guitar looks from the outside. So I can only imagine. I saw what it was supposed to look like on one of the shows that I went to a few months ago with my wife to see. So, oh yeah. Yeah, they they you know before the the, the we went to see a big comedy show there and before the uh, comedians came out. You know, they were showing what everything was going to look like, and it was just like, you know, wow, mind-blowing. So yeah. can't wait to go over there and see what it looks you like once it opens. The poker room you haven't seen, right? No, but okay. I'm sure, uh, you know, I, I wonder how involved Tony and uh, the directors are there and, you know, having put that poker room together. Obviously, it's it's got to be done, if you know, or close to it if it isn't already. Yeah, definitely. Uh, they just had a little tournament over there, a, a $250 buy-in with a 200000 guarantee, four-way chop, uh, won by Oscar Arreche. Uh Some of our friends over there, uh, Josh Duvdevani, uh, Lenny's son, and uh, Carlo Rodriguez, who's also been on the show with us, uh, running pretty deep. Carlo cashed in 12th place for $3,114, and Josh was in 9th for 4775 Anyway, let's get to this other story here. A little later, we'll run down uh, uh, what's going on in the Seminole uh, Coco uh, tournament that's coming up uh, with the World Series of Poker Circuit. But there's a, a story I wanted to go over, a quick hand, uh, about bet sizing. Now, we know there's plenty of tells out there, you know, what people look at, uh, whether they glance at, little things they do with their face or their fingers or uh, different things that happen at a table that kind of give off a tell on what kind of hand the person has. But simply the size of your bets can, uh, you know, be a tell for people to decide. And this story is about how to use bet sizing tells to detect a bluff. Well, and in this story, the gentleman who's writing the story about his, his hand had been playing with this gentleman for a while. Yeah, because, he did know him. Because, because... For me, bet sizing, when I don't know the person, you know, I have to watch them play for a while and see, right. do they bet aggressive when when they've got, you know, when they're bluffing? Are they slow playing monster hands? You know, that, these are all okay. bet sizing scenarios. And until you've, once you've played with somebody for a long time, both being the, the better and, and the absurd, like, you know, you're checking and trying, it's, it's like a boxing match. You're trying to feel each other out, okay? And obviously, top pros, when they've been playing with the same people, try to change. You, you have to change it up because top pros will will figure it out right. rather quickly. Yeah. You know. Can so you can you do that over the course of say three four hours of play? Yes, if the same player is constantly going in, and if you're, you're observing a the to hand, see their hand. Yeah, you know. Again, smart players will change it up. Sometimes you have to do your bet sizing. <laughs> It, it all depends on whether you're the observer or the one doing the betting. And in that sense, is when I used to try to do that, if I had a great hand and I knew the player I was playing with and I knew what he expected from me because of the way he played with me before, and when he and if he saw me get caught with a bluff, you know, I would try to use that when I did have a strong hand because he hadn't seen me play anything else. And I and usually it works much better with. Good players, right? You understand, like they always say, you can't bluff a, a, a calling a station. station yeah, you exactly. know, so so it'd be idiotic to try to do that. Okay. But now you you only you usually only going to bluff very good players right. to get them off of a weak hand. If you sense that they got a weak hand, but yours is even weaker, depending on how you bet. In this particular case, he's talking about flop, you know, pre-flop, flop, turn, river. How the betting action came. Okay. So if you want to Let's read it to, it to the to the, our okay. listeners, uh, the effective stacks at the table. It's a it's a one two no limit game, uh, approximately two hundred seventy five dollars. Uh, the button straddles for five bucks. And Joe, you take the uh, hero here. Uh, you're holding uh, pocket eights. Uh, so you call the straddle. Uh, the big blind and two others fold, and uh, the opponent raised to twenty one in middle position. 
button calls, and you call as well. Yeah, you got value to call with a pocket pair, see if you, see if you flop a set. So now you have $65 in the pot. The flop comes out. Queen of clubs, five of clubs, five of spades. You check. I'm going to check, and be honest with you, being that I, I was the last one to call first to act, you don't want to be first to act, but in this particular case, since you got a third player in there, I'm, obviously he missed the flop as far as hitting the eight, but at, it may not be a bad flop. You're kind of expecting the Razor to continue to bet, and now you get a read on the second player before you have to act. Right. So go ahead from there. Okay. Uh, so uh, your opponent uh, makes a continuation bet to thirty-five dollars. Uh, the button folds. So now you got a position. Okay. For me, with the pocket eights. Now you have to start put, putting this person on on range of hands that he has. Okay. The pot was now holding a little over sixty-three dollars. You know, yeah, sixty-three 60, plus the two dollars. Plus the two sixty-five. Thirty-five has one of two things. It's a continuation bet because you don't think that your first opponent checked, you're hoping he doesn't, you know, uh, re-raise you or call because that, you know. So I would be thinking, okay, did he have ace-queen in his hand? Pocket kings, pocket aces, you know, the two fives, you really, you know, if you know your opponent, is he capable of making that raise with an ace-five in his hand? Pocket fives, does he play that hand? Your other opponent called, so he missed the flop, obviously. I would make the call. Okay. $35 right now is a, is, is, is a, doesn't make sense wager to me. So now we're up to 135 in the pot, and the turn card is the seven of spades. Uh, so what do you do now? I check again. Okay. Uh, I'm in no position to bet, especially coming out first. You know, your, your, your whole... Being in this hand now with pocket eights with a board that reads queen five five seven with what two spades now? Uh, two spades. Correct. All right, two spades. Two spades and two clubs. You can't imagine that the seven helped him. So you made the call hoping that he wasn't sitting with a pocket pair higher than yours but lower than the queen, okay? Or or pocket aces or kings. At this point, I'm curious to see what he bets because now. There's about $130, $140 in the pot. And what does the opponent do? Uh, he raises to... Uh, he bets. He bets 60 uh, He bets 60 into a $140 pot. So about half the pot, a little bit less. If I've been playing with this gentleman, you should have a pretty decent read whether he's trying to suck you in or not, okay? And he's got to know, if you know your opponent there... Assuming that you know that you that you made that thirty-five dollar call, you don't put him on an ace queen. You're probably hoping that he has ace king, you know, uh, ace jack, and he's just trying to push you out of the pot. And he might be very afraid that you're holding a, a five yourself, you know, with the with the pair of fives that flopped. So, so for me, it's an easy for me right now. It's an easy call. Right. Uh, now the pot's getting pretty big too, so you don't want to go anywhere for well, uh, yeah, a reasonable size. Now, now it was seventy dollars. You said right that he bet into there sixty. Sixty, excuse me. So now the pot's holding about two sixty, two seventy. Right. Uh, so you call. Uh, the f- last card is the the river card is a complete blank, three of diamonds. Uh, so the board looks like this: queen, five, five, seven, three, two clubs, two spades. But no blo- no uh, flush. Uh, so now what? Check again. I'm not betting into this pot. I want to see what my opponent does. If my read is correct and his bet sizing kind of tells me, okay, he either thinks I have a five or he's trying to get me out of there, make me think that he's slow playing. But again, if you know your opponent, you've got to know how he plays his strong hands and how he plays his weak hands. What does he do? What type? Of, I'm waiting to see what kind of bet he, he, he bets does. eighty this time. See, not to me, huge. To me, none of those bets make sense if he has a good pot because at that point, he's he knows that I got enough to call, so he should be making me pay a, a steeper price to to get in there. Okay. And I would have imagined if he had a very strong hand. I don't have a problem with the second bet because he's trying to keep me in there. If he really, you know, had a strong hand, but once that last card came. He knows that, that 
that you're thinking, hey, he knows the three didn't help me. So if he's thinking he had me all along while, while I was stringing him along, that bet should have been my guess. If he had a really strong hand, closer to $200, you know, not quite a pot size, but a substantial pot bet that, you know, would have to make me think. And $80 is just, he was trying on the cheap to try to push me out at the end. If, if Maybe I was holding the, the, the two spades or the two clubs, you know, trying to catch a flush and the flush missed. To me, at this point, for $80, you're going to have to show me a pair higher than my eights or, you know, pair the queen. At this point, if this is how you played the hand, you got my money, but I, I see it as an easy call at this point. Yeah, he would have played it much differently if he did have pocket queens uh, and, and flopped Yeah, because you're out. trying to get value for your hand, you know? Yeah, he would have checked instead of betting on Exactly, small. exactly. You know, I mean, either he, had, either he had nothing or he had a monster and he was just trying to draw me along. And again... W- being that this gentleman who's writing this story says he has played with this guy before, he, uh, you know, he made all the calls, right? On the river, he did make the call, Dave? Yes. Did he make the call? He did make the call. And they turned it over. There's $400 plus in the pot right. now. And the opponent turns over King Jack, so a complete bluff. So you read him right. You read him right. You know, he was just betting it very small. I mean, you could have run into pocket nines, and he was afraid you had a queen. But at this point... Nothing came on that board that would scare me after the flop, you know, that I would put my opponent on. So he either had me beat at the beginning or, or you know, he was trying to push me out of the pot with small wages in comparison to the pot. So I would have also made that call there. I would never have raised, you know, I would have played the hand the, the way that this gentleman played the hand. And the other guy never put him to the test, you know, and... There he's he's claiming it's the bet sizing. I I would I would tend to agree, but without knowing that player, he knows him, so he didn't give us any insight as to how this man played other hands that he's seen in the future. That these are the things that are tough in these articles because if he had related stories like, well, I've seen this guy before make smaller size bets when he's chasing, you know. Uh, the flop came with two clubs, right, if I'm not mistaken, and then two spades came on the the turn. So he could have easily have had ace-jack of clubs and and was trying to push that, or he would have made a higher bet if he had a pocket pair trying to push me off of a flush, you know. So these are the things you have to see. But, again, bet sizing, yeah, is is how you want to see this for bluffs and all of that. But that's information, at least in in my experience of playing poker, is – it's information that you use once you've played with an opponent for for an extended period of time, and you've you know you've observed their tendencies. Right. Uh, he says that a uh, larger bet would have uh, charged you the premium. Explain that a little bit. Yeah. Well, at that point, you got you know remember the the pots the the stack sizes were two hundred and seventy five. Okay. You had sixty five dollars in that pot. You know pre flop. The flop comes. He only bets $35, if I remember the bet size, uh, the bet uh, on the flop, $35. It's not a lot. You know, it's a half half of the pot, roughly, with two players, because he didn't know that the other guy was going to fold. Right. So it's, it's kind of a weak bet, you know. Now, once the other opponent calls, there's 140 in there, he only bet 60 on the second one. At this point... You might have wanted to push, if you wanted to push the guy out, you know, the bet should have been somewhere in between 100 and $110, where it looks like you want to call, but you also don't want him chasing a flush for free. He says, uh, when he discussed this hand with him, he said, he told him that uh, the smaller bet sizing told him that he didn't, this guy didn't have a hand he felt he had to need to protect. Now, it told him that, but he's not telling us that because he's seen this in his history, you know, going back. Right. You know, those are the things that, you know, as a re- when you're reading these stories, you know, it's easy for us to make that call, and not, you know, for us, but saying experienced poker players, when you get a read on an opponent that you've played many years over, Unless you know them to constantly switch up how they play that game, I mean how they play their how they bet size and everything else, it's a guess. But once you've played with somebody long enough, 
you get a, you you know you you realize that it's hard for them to get off of you know poker players do the same thing and you know real good poker players know how to change it up and how to read this in their opponents. For me, just reading it off the way he bet it, if he didn't come out with a big bet now on the river, if he bets, you know, the, your stack, are you willing to go for it? Yeah. Are you willing to go for it? Yeah. You put in, you put in twenty-one, thirty-five, and sixty, so you've got you've got a hundred and fifteen dollars roughly in the pot. Am I willing to put up my other one hundred and sixty? Because they said effectively there was two seventy-five that they their stacks were. Am I willing to make that one sixty? If he had made that bet, or say one forty, you know, which is in effect putting him almost all in, you know, it, it plays mind games with you. Well, the other point is, he says, uh, if you know, he, he, he ch- if you had check raised instead of check called, well, yeah. then uh, he you would have lost money on that because he wouldn't have been able to call. He would that. have had to. He, he would have had, had to fold. fold. Yeah, you understand that. That's what one of the value things of that is. If you're almost like. I don't want to take the raise because I think I I got him, and you know, if he had if he had uh, I mean on the river he bet eighty so he actually could have put them all in at that point if, and and he would have had to fold anyway and you never would have known what cards he had, but you know the the bet sizing to me Big Dave you you have to know I used to know these players when I played in these great private games that I used to play with and some that I dealt in. It was funny because when I was dealing, I'd be studying the players right, right. and trying to put them on hands. And it, it, it's funny because the, obviously the more attention you pay uh, paid to the to the the action and how the betting went and everything else, you know, it's, it's amazing how you start getting a feel on how they bet. You know, I mean, you know, their bet sizing, how how the strength of their hand. So that information only came after. Many sessions of right. playing with the same people and, and and continually seeing a pattern as to how they bet bluffs and how they bet you know premium hands. Uh, this story was written by David uh, Bass, and his uh, conclusion is bet sizing is part art and part science. Pay attention to players' bet sizing patterns as two different players' small bets might have opposite meanings. Bet sizes that are incompatible with the hand an opponent is trying to represent can be revealing tells that help you detect bluffs and make winning calls. And you know, let me tell you and he he took it from his side as the as the you know the, the that he was reading the bet sizer. Now if you're the one doing the betting, bet sizing there is also very important when you're trying to you know rela- you know, do a bluff or a call where you're trying to look weak and strong and bet sizing sometimes completely confuses your opponent right, if right. they don't know how you if if you've seen them react now it's on the reverse side right. you're not the person making the call you're the person making the bet sizing and because of your bet sizing you're going to maximize because if you're running a bluff and you think you can scare them by going all in well you're trying to get money in in the uh, you know flop and turn because you raised before and then you put them to the test on the river and you know if you know that they don't have a monster hand, you know they're never going to call. But you show weakness by your bet sizing, and they're not smart enough at reading it because you've seen them make a, make a strong play at the pot thinking that you're bluffing. That's how you get them to put in because if you show that strength, they'll say, oh, man, I, yeah. I, this ain't good enough. So now I'm going to make a weakness bet, you know, to try to get you out, to act like it, and then all of a sudden you go, yeah, I don't think you got anything. I'm all in. Oh, call, boom. They turn over the nuts. Yeah. So it's both ways. It's an art. It's obviously an yeah, art. And the longer hard you art, play, science. that's it. Very, very on the mark. Uh, okay, let's take our final break. When we come back, uh, I want to replay uh, one uh, an interview that we had with Matt Savage uh, about a month ago. And I played it on the show, but uh, it was really good. And it really has a lot to do with some of the direction that poker is heading in as far as tournament directors are concerned. And I want to play that when we get back. You're listening to Poker Action Line, Big Dave and Joe. We'll be back with more of the show after these messages. This is Poker Action Line. Hi, this is Big Dave from PokerActionLineRadio.com. I want to let all avid poker players know about a great new lottery game that was developed by one of our sponsors, Atlantic West Management Group. This game is now available worldwide on the Internet and will be served as Place Your Chips Caribbean and operated on the Internet as an international lottery by Atlantic West. The Texas Hold'em poker-like game is perfectly legal everywhere and presented as a lottery game with tickets available on the Internet. 
You can win pick six lottery tickets and cash prizes by using your poker playing skills. It's open to lottery players worldwide, and right now this game is in a play-for-free test mode, and you are not obligated to purchase anything. You can get 50,000 free play chips per ticket for the purpose of evaluating the game with no prizes awarded until the game goes live. A lottery customer can purchase a ticket with a unique number that will grant them entry into one of many Texas Hold'em poker tables with a chip stack and like a lottery game, the prize value will be based on ticket sales. That chip stack will be valid for the remainder of the week as players can access the site as often as they like to try and take the chip lead. At the end of the week, the highest chip stacks will be awarded lottery prizes, and if you lose all your chips, the lottery ticket becomes null and void. As with regular lottery games, you can purchase as many entries as you like. However, each ticket stands on its own merit, and much like the regular lottery, the results of multiple tickets cannot be combined toward a prize. The name of this game is Place Your Chips Caribbean, and you can access a live demonstration of the game right now at www.placeyourchipscaribbean.com. We believe that when it goes live soon, there will be a heavy demand for this game, as most lottery players would much rather have some say in the outcome of their lottery result. Their odds of winning are greatly improved if they're able to utilize their playing skills in order to increase their chances of winning. I hope that you will try the Play for Free demonstration and hope that you will join us when the Play for Real game becomes available. Hey, Dad, how do you throw a curveball? How do you build a fort? How do refrigerators run? How do fish learn how to swim? Kids ask a lot of questions. How high can you jump? But you don't have to know every answer. How many phone numbers are there? Because you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. How do cell phones work? There are thousands of children in foster care who don't need every question answered. What's electricity? They just need you. What's the moon made of? For more information on how you can adopt, go to AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. back big dave lemon joe rodriguez and i want to get to this interview that we did with matt savage uh, a few weeks ago and uh if you missed it uh stick around because it's good it's real good and uh i want to uh play it again for some people who may have missed it we kind of put it in at the end of the show uh, and of course there's a lot of attention to uh different things during the world series of poker when the tda was held so here's what matt had to say had a few minutes with him and uh appreciate him taking the time matt savage with matt savage here again at the Seminole hard rock poker open uh another successful series uh do you sit down with tony and bill and then just kind of go over everything how it worked out uh after the in the days that you finish yeah of course you know there's always uh, you know, room for improvements. These guys always want to improve. Uh, I still think they have, you know, one of the best poker products out there uh, year after year, and I, they're always getting better. So uh, we always focus on, you know, this series and what you want to do for next year. So uh, I'm excited about it. I'm excited to come back in November for the WPT. So that's the next big thing here, and uh, I'm excited for it. Next year at this time, the Guitar Hotel will be open, a new poker room. I'm not sure, you know, where the tournaments will be or, or how that will work out, but, uh, you know, really exciting times ahead for all these guys here. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have a huge uh, tournament area and the poker room. Uh, I got a sneak peek at it. It's mm. amazing. It's a, a beautiful room, so as soon as you get a chance to do that, Dave, make sure you go check it out. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, going to be probably the best poker room in the world. This was really kind of a notable series for a lot of reasons. I think, you know, another successful Conine event raised a lot of money for charity. And uh, you had Jason Mercier kind of coming out of hiding to uh, reestablish himself as uh, the top of the game or one of the tops. Uh, now here on the Big Four, pretty exciting. You got at one table with uh, well-known players like Sean Deeb and Olivier Bousquet. You got Sean Winter running over his table. But the most exciting thing for a lot of us down here is Jessica being in the head-to-head play with Faraz in the 2650, uh, really pulling for her. Yeah, you know, both those players, uh, Faraz and Jessica, have been around for a while now. Uh, always great to see Jessica at the final table, but uh, for her to win would be a great accomplishment. It's, uh, you know, we're always, I'm in a position now where we're always pulling for women to win these things because I think it just will help us build the game. So I think it's important. Uh, I'm excited to hope and see if she can pull it off. Well, she, of course, is a former uh, women's ladies champ out at the World Series of Poker, but I'm sure this will be the top of her list if she can pull this one off. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, it's a big thing because it's here, you know. Uh, so it's kind of like a, like a home court advantage. But at the same time, I think that she's, uh, you know, she's worked hard, and she's worked hard on her game. So 
in a show. So I'm, I'm hoping that she can uh, finish this one off. Of course, Faraz is a good friend of mine too. So you know, either way, it doesn't. Uh, you know, you can't really pull for one or the other, but. Obviously, it would be nice to see her win. Absolutely. Uh, let's get to the TDA Summit because it kind of comes right before the main event out in Vegas. There's a lot of attention to a lot of uh, you know, bracelet events and what's happening there. Uh, so some of it a little slips under the radar sometimes, but I want to talk about it because you had a lot of really important issues, and I think you were pretty thrilled with the way that turned out. I was. You know, when you get a group full of uh, 200 people, you never think you're going to be able to get focused and get everything done that you want to get done. But, you know, the group that we have, uh, you know, they're from all over the world. Uh, I think we had 33 countries represented in the TDA Summit and over 200 participants between players, tournament directors, uh, poker room managers, and the like. So, you know, anytime you can get that kind of group together and get everybody to agree on something, it's a major accomplishment. But, uh, you know, I think the focus is the same as it's always been, and that's to make things standard. And uh, I think we did a very good job of that this year as well. I haven't seen any comments from you following the main event, but it was pretty bizarre that one of the major topics was the dealers counting out the raises and that sort of thing. And then we get to the main event with Dario San Martino, and uh, a very good dealer made a very rare mistake for her and caused a lot of controversy. Uh, Kind of strange the way that followed right out. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. I really do feel like us having the dealers count the bets is going to make the dealers better. There's a lot of great poker rooms in the world already doing this. Uh, Playground Poker uh, in Montreal, Asperis Casino in London, uh, Maryland Live has their dealers count the bets, and they really don't have issues with it. So I'm anxious to see how it's going to work, and uh, hopefully it becomes a recommended procedure, turns into a rule at some point in the future, because I really do feel like it's unfair for a lot of uh, players because they can't see the bets, uh, you know, one of the arguments I've heard against it was that people like to try and disguise their bets. I think that's a real negative, you know, if somebody's doing that. And, you know, I'm getting older. It's tougher to see those bets sometimes. And I, I watch and I see that the dealers that are here, are, you know, they're great. They could do this easily. So I know it can happen. You know, I think we're going to have issues in some other places. But uh, I do really think it's going to be something that we're going to be doing in the future. And right now you say recommend a procedure. Um, how does that change as far as the TDA is concerned? When does it get to the point where it comes over into something that, I mean, it's not, you can't enforce everything at every room all over the country, but at another point it might be pretty much standard procedure. Correct, and that's what we aim for. You know, we aim for sometimes we put things out there for people to try, see how it works for them, see how it works for the industry, and hopefully uh, we can get it solidified and then make that a standard procedure in the future. One of the other things discussed was the big blind ante, which I guess that that cow is out of the barn, you know, uh, we're going to go with that, and it works good. Uh, there are some question marks about when you get to short stacks and that sort of thing, and that's what you, you all discussed, and there was uh, some differing opinions on that one. Yeah, I mean, we had some major issues. I'm actually writing a blog about it right now, which one was done with. But basically, you know, the three biggest issues was button ante or big blind ante. We all got everybody to agree that big blind ante was the better way to go. Everybody raised their hand and agreed. A couple of people were still holding out on the on the button ante, but uh, we, you know, got them all to move over as well. So excited about that. The next thing was ante first or big blind first is such a minor issue, uh, you know, that we got everybody in the room to agree to go with ante first instead of big blind first. The problem with that is that Jack Effel, who's on the board, wasn't in there at the World Series Poker. They still use big blind ante first. He says that nobody complains about it. I say they're not going to complain about it either way as long as everybody knows what it is in the standard. And again, the goal of the TDA is to get everything standard, so if they would hopefully join us and you know go with ante first, it would be standard. The next thing after that is are you going to reduce the ante at the final tables? As you can see in there, these players are playing heads up, and they're 96 and 89 big blinds deep, heads up. Putting an extra uh, little uh, ante in the pot is not going to hurt anything. It actually is better for action. Uh, I try to promote action. I want people to play poker. I want there to be action in the pot, and I think that having the ante all the way to the end does that. Was that the issue that Kenny Hallert uh, disagreed with? How the, the yeah, was decided? he was yeah he was uh, initially against. Although he changed it. his mind, right? He, yeah, he wanted it to be not that way. Matter of fact, I'd given up. I thought after day one we were going to come back the next day, talk about it some more, but it was not going to be a a TDA recommended procedure rule or anything like that 
but people pushed me that night and they said, we're close, we can do this. And the next day I reached out to people in the audience, Kenny Hollard stood up and said, you know what, I'm ready to switch, I think it's better too. And it was awesome, you know, because you got a big round of applause, everybody was excited, and then we had took another vote, and there was no holdouts, everybody was on, top, on board, and again, the World Series Poker is already doing that, so I think we're there. We've talked many times about uh, your stance on the freeze-outs, that you think that uh, the unlimited entry tournaments have not been good for the game, even though you are one of the ones that were one of the initially the people who, who brought it out. Um, there's still a lot of discussion about that, and I think you still feel pretty strongly that you'd love to see all these freeze-out events, and they do have some here, which mm-hmm. is great. Uh, but that cow is also maybe out of the barn by now. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that I think that you know, even though I started them, uh, it is it's that that ship has sailed, as they say, because you know it's a thing where now tournaments are looking to be revenue streams. Reentry does hurt cash games. There's no doubt about it. People are reentering in tournaments instead of going to the cash games. Tournaments used to be for bringing players in for the cash games, but that kind of has gone away now. People are now looking at revenue sources out of tournaments because they're going to be playing those and reentering. So, I think. You know, it's impossible for a guy like me or anybody in, you know, this side of the, uh, the industry to say you have to do something like that. You have to go to no reentry. You know, you can suggest it. I, I suggest that you have some events that are no reentry. I suggest that you have some events that are single reentry and multiple reentry. I think there's a good blend of that it makes for a good series. Well, we know that the almighty dollar, I guess, is eventually going to be the deciding factor. And, and a lot of people just don't want to give up the thing. Although, you know, we look at a place here in the Hard Rock that uh, I think they had one tournament where they fell short on their guarantees. So, you know, I don't know if that will change anything in the future. But having big guarantees was the way to go for several years out here to just load up the tournament. And the re-entries were a big part of that. Yeah, for sure. And then that event had a single re-entry. Missed by 63,000. You know, in the end... They are so supportive of poker here. I just, you know, you're lucky to live down here and have what you have because I work all over the world and they don't get the support for poker like they do here at Seminole Hard Rock. Uh, obscuring the face uh, was a big discussion. Uh, I, I think for the most part that's not a huge issue, but, uh, you know, obviously not a good thing for the game. Uh, of course, at the World Series of Poker, you know, you got people that want to be on TV, so they're going to come in these costumes and that sort of thing. So you got to kind of regulate that. Yeah, we actually have a rule that we brought in uh, basically says that you cannot have anything that's going to disrupt the play of the game. And, you know, that gives the tournament directors out there, the Carter managers, a little more latitude to, to take away from what they don't like. So it doesn't specifically say you can't cover your face, uh, only that you need to be identifiable and that uh, you have to not be a, a hindrance to the game. And I think that's going to be a plus. And, again, something we move maybe towards in 2021. Okay. There was also some stuff about stud. I don't really play that much stud myself. I didn't really uh, understand the impact of some of that stuff. Can you briefly tell our listeners that don't play a lot of stud what you guys decided out there to change the rules a little bit? Yeah, you know, stud's an old game. It's been around forever, and it's one of those things that uh, people that play it are used to a certain way. A lot of the way the rules were was just always because that's the way it always was. And we looked at those rules, and we talked to people, we talked to the players, and said, why were these rules put into place? We don't feel they're really best for the game. And they agreed. They said, you know, they're just there because they've always been there. So I think that's not a way to make a rule. That's not a way to make a decision. So we changed some of the stud rules that you'll see coming up on the TDA rules that uh, will be a big change for some stud players. Uh, the older stud players aren't going to like it as much. But, again, I play those games as well, and I think it's for the betterment of the game. So uh, we'll see it happening. Uh, there's something else I'm not covering here. Uh, can you can you uh, lead me back into the... There's two more... Um, no double motion raises. Okay. That was something that was always Stream there. Bets. You could always say call and then put out the call amount and then put out another amount. So now either have to state an amount or do it on one motion. Okay. And I think that's a better thing. I mean, it just creates confusion. It's not good for the game when they do that. So I'm, I'm happy that we changed that. And, uh, you know, we had a good full two days of discussion at the TDA. And at the end, I think we came up with a lot of good, good suggestions. And what's coming up? I mean, obviously, the second that ends, you start looking at a few more issues that you'd like to discuss. Uh, I think you even mentioned to me earlier in the tournament that uh, you had some stuff that you were working on. Maybe you can't release it yet, but uh, where are we trending in the, uh, in the tournament director's mind? Well, I just think, you know, trying to get things, you know, the late registration thing kept coming up. 
Uh, you know, Kenny Hollert came up with an article about that as well. You know, trying to reel that back in as well because, you know, some people feel like it's a bigger advantage for people to register late. I, on the other hand, feel like there's things that need to be done to make sure that that doesn't happen. One of the things is that satellite players are seated at the start of the tournament uh, and that, uh, you know, people that pay or are in the tournament before it starts are seated. I want to see people registering early. I think it's better for the tournament. I think it's better for the numbers. And hopefully uh, we can get something done on that in the future. Last thing I, I didn't cover was the stacks on the table. Uh, put them in 20s. Uh, and you feel very strongly about that. But you weren't able to get a complete consensus on that. Uh, as, a, as a poker journalist, uh, you know, obviously that's great for us. If, if everybody did that, it would be a lot easier to tell what's going on. And these guys that write these updates, and they do such a tremendous job. They work so hard here. Uh, it'd be a lot easier for them as well. Talk it about that. Sure, makes it easier for them. It makes it easier for us too. Um, you know, one of the things that we came up with in the past was that we can do non-discriminatory or discriminatory color-ups. If we want to go over there and say you don't have your chips stacked correctly, or we're going to change your chips, you know, change the colors. You know, I know the players like to have a lot of chips in front of them, but it slows down the game. It makes it tougher for the dealers. It makes it tougher for the other players. It's just something that needs to be changed for the industry. And I, you know, I feel strongly about it, but I put a few polls up. Recreational players and pros alike said that they should have some kind of freedom in stacking. But uh, I think that we're, you know, coming to a point where it's either got to be 10, 20, 30, 40, and at least understand, be able to see, you know, they said in the, in the, in the meeting, if you can't tell how many chips they have, they're probably not stacked correctly. So... As long as you can tell how many they have, I think that's fine. So you, you basically came out of it saying, uh, don't be sloppy. Correct. Don't be sloppy. Make them countable. They've got to be countable stats. And what, what if there's a problem like, uh, like mine, I can't count to 20? <laughs> yeah, that might be a problem. <laughs> or the guy that says, I never have 20 chips. So, you know, that's exactly. not a, I can't stack them in 20s if I never have them. Exactly. Uh, so the work is never done, obviously. You go back to, to California soon, and uh, you'll be doing the Legends of Poker, I guess, will be the next big thing up. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, traveling, going straight back to Bay 101, and then I'll be uh, down at the uh, bike for the WPT. I'll be at Commerce uh, coming up soon for our Commerce Hold'em series, and then... You know, back here, I'm excited to come back in November. Big, big series out here in November for the World Poker Tour. Uh, they've become such a great partner for us, and, uh, you know, we're just always happy to come back to Seminole Harbor. Well, congratulations on another great event here. Uh, obviously, you've been recognized nationally. Tony's on the cusp of really uh, getting a lot of attention here because every, all the players, they love him. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I was uh, instrumental in him getting this position. Absolutely. And, and it's worked out beautifully because I knew that he had a, a certain, uh, you know, attraction from the players. The players down here love him. He was working, you know, down the street. I can't mention the name, but he was working over there and he was, you know, dealing in, in part-time tournaments and things like that. But I knew he had a bigger, uh, you know, a higher calling for himself. And this is it. I think he's doing a great job. Uh, I'm happy to call him a friend and happy that he's doing it as much as he is. Him and, uh, you know, with the tutelage of uh, Bill Mason here and the entire team and staff, dealers, they just do a great job. Looking forward to strumming the guitar over there uh, across <laughs> the way and uh, the lighting. Uh, I've seen some of the lighting at night when they test it out. That's going to be spectacular, yeah, too. It's going to be beautiful. This whole property has just gone undergone such renovation. You know, it was a little problematic for us, you know, the jackhammers and things like that this series. But I think in the end, it's going to be well worth it. Okay, thanks for your time again. You got it, Dave. Thank you. That is Matt Savage, uh, and uh, certainly uh, we always appreciate the time he gives us on the program here. It was just as good the second time around. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The Borgata Poker Open continues to play on here, and uh, they will be going into the next couple of days. Next week we'll have the results of that. Er Darren Elias challenging in that one, as is uh, Brian Altman, who's a very good player. Maria Ho still up there? Which uh, she's not in the lead, but uh, she is playing. So uh, I did see that uh, Aaron Massey is playing, Justin Zaki, some people that we know. Maurice Hawkins is there uh, playing in the event. Uh, Jessica Dolly, uh, Will Faila, a lot of a lot of our favorites. Uh, Anthony Zeno and uh, Andy Frankenberger. So uh, these are. Players that will be headed. Uh, Ken Aldridge is a pretty cool guy that uh, they call him Teach. Always wears a bright yellow hoodie, and uh, he's part of the action up there as well. So uh, Maria looks like she's very short stacked, so she could be out shortly. Who knows? Yeah. Well, let's, 
She's a great player. Yeah, she is. Uh, anyway, um, we will take a look at the uh, Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open in the next couple of weeks or two, uh, as that is getting underway shortly, and we'll run down the schedule for that as well. But, uh, Joe, thanks for your analysis on that hand and uh, all the stuff you do for the show. Yep, and uh, I'll, I'll miss you next week, okay. and I'll be away for my birthday next week. Uh, well, we'll see if we can line somebody up. Uh, Gio, thank you tonight for all your help as well. We'll be back next week with another edition of Poker Action Line. The views and opinions of the hosts, guests, or callers are not necessarily those of the station, its owners, advertisers, or agencies. 